Thank you, Hunter and the worship team. Well, it is good to gather today. <coughs> and um, aren't we thankful that we have heating in here, too? That, so I heard some people complain about how cold it is today here in Fresno. Um, I, one of the things I remember moving to Fresno is that um, there was uh, that, that fall was usually the first weekend of October. Uh, or November, and then spring was usually the first week of like April, and that was that. And the rest of it was a winter or summer. That's all you had in Fresno. But um, today, you know, <coughs> we're going to keep looking in the book of Acts. And um, because I think what happened with the early church in the book of Acts gives us a lot of information for what churches ought to be doing in the future and how we ought to be moving forward in our work with uh, just fulfilling the Great Commission in our area right here. And so, I want to look at that Great Commission for a moment. Um, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but the, that is our one mission as a church, is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And so that is our work that we're doing. And last week, we had the, the benefit of hearing from our mission team that came back and just had been talking about work they'd been doing in another part of this world that most of us will never visit. And uh, we know that God is working around the world in his mission, and he's allowing us at Fresno Church to be a part of that. And that is just a great thing to remember. And, it, and, and though the, the task might be overwhelming, remember God just has a place for us in all of this. So as we think about that, this we're going to look at today about how they did the Great Commission. Before I get to it, though, <coughs> I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you've just seen God move in such an amazing, unpredictable way that you were just astounded by it you were just floored by it it was just unmistakably God moving now again wow I'm glad that some of you have uh, uh, most Christians haven't seen anything like that and we read through the book of Acts where we see just thousands of times not well not thousands of times thousands of people but hundreds of times that that God has been moving and God is working there's all throughout scripture and we think why does that happen today well it it does sometimes and if you've been a, a be able to be a part of that that's great. I want to tell you about one that, that happened in my life. Um, it was years ago. Uh, again, you got to remember my background is student ministry. That's what I, I really love students. In fact, it freaks out some of the teenagers that I like talking with them uh, here, but, but I do. And so it was at a camp in Arizona. And I remember it greatly. There was about 150 kids at this camp. And one night, just the Spirit of God moved for some reason. I, I don't know at that point didn't know what it was but it was at this camp in Prescott Arizona about 150 kids there and uh, it was Wednesday night of camp and if you if you've got any kind of camp background for a week-long camp you know Wednesday night is not the big night it's usually Thursday Thursday tends to be the big night for some reason the Holy Spirit's busy elsewhere but Thursday night he comes to camps but this was Wednesday night the day before we really expect the Holy Spirit to arrive and there was something happening I remember that day that out of 150 kids at this camp, 125 came down forward to make decisions somehow related to Jesus. Now, now, but I want to let you know I'm not bragging here, okay? I was the preacher for that, and you've heard me enough to know that I'm, you know, it's, I'm not that impressive a preacher. But this was one of those weird experiences where people kept coming forward. In fact, I remember one time with the teenagers that I actually stopped the invitation and said, everybody, go back to your seats for a second. I'm obviously not communicating to you clearly here. You're talking about handing over more control of your life 
to a God that is so different from you that you can't even imagine. You don't know what he's going to ask of you, and you need to be ready of that before you do it. Now, I sound like a preacher there. I'm yelling for a second, but, but uh, and yet kids still came. I remember taking our staff, and they were take kids out to counseling, and I was going to go find adult leaders that you trust, that you can find to bring them there. At one point, I even said, somebody run up to the cafeteria because I know at the cafeteria, the camp staff, just the, the college students who were working at the camp that summer, were up there praying for us during this time. And I ran up and got, and had somebody run up and get them, so we had more people, more adults to talk to these teenagers. And I realized later that with this just tremendous coming forward of these students, and again, it wasn't anything that I had done, it wasn't anything that, that it, wasn't, it wasn't really explainable in any way, except for one thing. This one camp was a unique situation. I had never seen a camp staff, and I'd worked with lots of camps, trust me. I, I don't know how many years of my life cumulatively I've spent at camp, but it's been a bunch of them. And um, this camp staff, every evening when we had for our worship services, they met in that cafeteria, and they were praying the entire time for our worship services. I remember seeing this camp staff. Uh, I would get up in the morning as the camp pastor. I'd go to have my quiet time, and I would get up an hour before everybody else would, um, at the, uh, not that I was that spiritual, I just needed that much time to, you know, to get to where I needed to be that day than the rest of them did. But no matter how early I got up, there were already, already camp staff in the kitchen with fresh cinnamon rolls and coffee. And um, so they were always there. And, and I remember when I would go to bed at night, I would still see some of the camp staff around campfires singing praises and just sharing together and, and watching over the kids and that kind of thing. And I believe without, without any doubt, it was that awesome prayer focus that this camp staff had that caused that kind of decision to be made. And before any kind of decision like that, before God moves, prayer is always a part of it. And so that's going to be part of our point today. I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we look at probably what is considered to be the greatest moving of the Holy Spirit in the entire Bible, and that is in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Um, so let's look at that together. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, I'm starting at chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who here speaking are Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And it names some who were there, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongue. And they were astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Let's pray. Father, in our modern 21st century mind, we don't even know how to wrap our thoughts around what you did that day. But Father, I pray right now we'll give a special dose of your Holy Spirit to help us 
not only comprehend, but to, to join with those early believers in, <coughs> in allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us and work within us. And Father, we want not miracles like that, but we want your Holy Spirit like that. <coughs> so Father, as we look into this today, help us just grasp more of you through your Spirit. Help us understand what you did and what you want to do through us. Help us understand who you were to them and who you want to be to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's talk about this <clears throat> for a little bit as we look at this. This is a crazy thing. So as you've heard this story a lot, I know you've all heard it before. This is not a new story for you. But we're going to try to take a little bit different look at what happened at this point. So let's look at first what the Christians did. All right. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about Pentecost, what that means. Now, most of you have heard of Pentecost. And when we think of Pentecost, what's the other word of, that sounds like Pentecost that we think of? Pentecostal. And so those of us who are from a more the evangelical side, like Baptist and, and, and uh, um, uh, EV free and all those kinds of things that kind of fall into that sort of category, that sort of freaks us out a little bit. In fact, I'll know that most churches like ours sometimes are a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's like one day, it's like maybe a couple of hundred years ago, all the churches got together and split up the Trinity. And the Catholics got the Father, and the Pentecostals got the Holy Spirit, and then the evangelicals like us got, got, the, got Jesus, and that was how it worked. And so we're sort of afraid to talk about that sometime. But let me tell you what that means. That Pentecostal does not mean speaking in tongues. Here's where it comes from. Pentecost is simply the Greek word. It means 50. It refers to 50 days. Uh, and what it is, it's, it's 50 days after the Passover. So it was one of the three main celebrations that was in the Jewish calendar. There was the Feast of Weeks, which was also called Pentecost. There was the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was the Passover. And the Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. And so it actually, they, they actually used it to celebrate the giving of the, of the law to Moses, is what they celebrated at that time because in their tradition we don't know how many days it was but the idea was after they crossed the red after the passover and they crossed the red sea they figured it took about 50 days for them to get to to mount sinai where where moses received the law so that was sort of that celebration there but it's interesting to know that pentecost was was probably the big celebration of all those three and here's why pentecost this year was on was was may uh was was uh, june 5th next year it's going to be may 28th so it's right around the end of May, 1st of June, somewhere around in there. Um, and in, in that day, Passover being the, was the bigger feast, but the weather wasn't as good to travel. There were still storms in the Mediterranean. There was still, their weather was a lot like ours. So actually in March or so, you could still have stormy weather. But you know, by the time we get to May, if we get rain, we're just we're astounded by it. It was that way. So a lot of people couldn't travel at Passover people could travel better during Pentecost. And so that was the time that more Jews came to Jerusalem. In fact, we don't know for sure, um, but the estimates of the, 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 the normal population of Jerusalem during the time of Jesus was about 40 to 80,000. So maybe a tenth of the size of Fresno, something like that, somewhere around in there. So 40 to 80,000, no, yeah, that's about right, about a tenth of the size of Fresno. Um, but during the festivals, it would swell up to even more. Estimates of what would happen at Pentecost, on the low side, they said Jerusalem might swell to 250,000, a quarter of a million people. 
So at least three times and maybe more than that, some estimates say that it might have been as many as three million people showing up in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Now, I think that's crazy. I don't know how we know for sure what those times was, but that was the big thing when people traveled. Now, the interesting thing about Pentecost is it was also 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. So we do the math. Jesus was, was crucified right at Passover. He was three days later, he resurrected. We know he was on the earth for 40 days. We looked at two weeks ago, Jesus giving his instructions to his disciples. When he ascended into heaven, that was for 40 days after he resurrected. And so now we have 10 more days, and here we are at Passover. So this is 10 days after Jesus gave his disciples the instructions to wait in Jerusalem. Now, first of all, I got to say, for us today, that would make us crazy. How many of you want to wait 10 days for things? All right, let me just ask right now. How many of you pay for Amazon Prime? Just show me. Come on. All right. All right. Because not only we want it free, but we want it now. Right? So that's the great. All right. And, and so, and if, and, and all right, be honest with me. How many of us get depressed if we get a note from Amazon saying our package has been delayed one day? It's just like, oh, man, what is this? They waited for 10 days for the Holy Spirit. That would make us crazy today. But they did. Now, why did the Holy Spirit wait 10 days? We're gonna, well, here's the reason, and we're going to see it in a moment. Because waiting till the time of Pentecost is the time when the whole world that they knew of had come to Jerusalem. But we'll get to that in just a moment. So 10 days after Jesus went back to heaven. So what were they doing in the meantime? Here's what they were doing. The Christians prayed. That's what they did. They didn't just sit around resting on their blessed assurances and twiddling their thumbs and waiting for, you know, just waiting. They prayed, and they prayed hard. I want you to look at a couple of verses. With Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says, And these with all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And then later in that same chapter, in Acts chapter 1, verse 27, it says, And they prayed. They prayed. Here's the thing I want you to know. The precursor to any movement of the Holy Spirit almost always is prayer. You look at it, almost always prayer. Last month, we looked at, at Nehemiah going back to build the walls of Jerusalem. What did he do before he actually talked to the king and made his trip? He prayed day and night, and prayer is a big part of this. Now, the people who study this, and I don't, I, 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 I'm not one of these people, but I know people who are that study the great revivals of Christian history say that every great revival in history was preceded by extraordinary times of prayer. I just want to mention a few of them. You may have heard of them, may not. There was the Tension Revival in Europe in 1708, and it was said that the Christians just felt a, a burden to pray before that revival started. There was the Businessmen's Revival in America in 1857, preceded by great periods of prayer. And one of my favorite ones, the Haystack Prayer Meeting Revival in 1806 in Massachusetts. And here's why I like this one. The Haystack Revival was called that because it started with what was called the Haystack Meeting. And it was a group of students. And teenagers, let me tell you, teenagers can be an awesome prayer force. And what happened with this Haystack Revival was a group of students met together at lunch every day at a haystack near their school and prayed. And it's directly related back to their prayer services, that haystack, led to a great revival service, a great revival movement among people that changed the lives of people 
but it's a cause of students. And I think that's a, that's a big deal. In fact, students can still be a big part of that. I know we're a little bit late in talking about this, but has anybody ever heard of See You at the Poll? Anybody heard of it? Okay. All right, See You at the Poll was back in September. But I got a picture of it here for you, okay? That's just a picture of one of the, one of the schools. I've been to many schools for See You at the Poll. Uh, this next year, in, in 2020, uh, 2023, it's going to be in September 27th. So students, make a note in your calendar right now, okay? So September 27, all right, on your Google calendars or Apple calendar or whatever that you use, that's the day that it's billed as the world's largest prayer meeting. It's 2 million-plus students meeting around their campuses every, uh, uh, every third Wednesday in September on, uh, in every year to do that. Let me tell you how that got started. That got started at something called a Disciple Now Weekend. And I'm just illustrating this to illustrate the importance of prayer. Disciple Now Weekend is like an in-house retreat where students kind of meet at the church together, but then they go to homes with their small groups, and they just stay in small groups. There's a group of students in Burleson, Texas, that were having a Disciple Now Weekend, and this one small group of students, 12 students, in a home in Burleson, Texas, felt the burden to go pray for their schools. And so these students all went to each one of their schools, these 12 students that were staying at this home, went to caravan to each one of their schools and gathered around the flagpole over the weekend and prayed for their schools. The next Monday, the youth minister at First Baptist Burleson, Texas, was meeting with a bunch of other youth ministers and was just sharing that idea. And they said, man, that's amazing. And it started, the idea started spreading. And then at a youth conference at Texas at Christmas, that year that I announced it, in a bunch of Texas Baptist churches got together and did uh, this one-day prayer meeting for their schools. And then that got word all over the nation, and then a group of, uh, an organization called the National Network of Youth Ministries in San Diego actually started to pick this up, and now two million students plus meet for prayer every time. But it started with one group of 12 students in Burleson, Texas. So just want to remind you, every time we meet for prayer, whether it be our Wednesday night gathering here, whether it be in your small group, whether it be you praying with another church member somewhere, in that prayer, that prayer you have together is the seed of God moving towards another great revival. And I'm not saying God will do it with every prayer time that we have, but I'm saying that's where it starts. And so the first thing I want to call you to do during this time is we need to be a people of prayer. Let me give you some things to pray fervently for. Pray for workers who continue to do what God has called them to do. All right, and we've got workers in this church, our, our, our preschool and nursery workers, our, 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 our board, our worship team, our AV team, our small group leaders, our greeters. We pray for all those people who are working hard to do what needs to be done. I want you to pray for boldness on the part of your staff and your leaders and our whole church to be bold wherever we go. Not to be obnoxious, but to be bold. There's a difference. Third, pray for God's blessing and wisdom as we reach out to new people. And God has been very gracious. He's brought a lot of guests into our church. And I've seen you guys warmly welcome these guests as they've come. All right? But there are many people out there that aren't ready yet to darken the door of our church. And so for us to be bold and to be wise as we reach out to other people, and just engage in their lives to help bring them to the point where they might be willing to let Jesus into their life a little bit.
and then pray for focus and direction of our church as we continue to work together. Even though this is a transition time, and I know I always hit, I, I'm always careful with the word interim pastor because interim pastor makes it sound like I'm going to be with you guys forever, and that's not it at all. It's and and it's not that we're on pause right now. That this is a time we're still moving forward, but we're just focusing more towards what God wants us to do in the future, preparing for more in the future. But we're still working right now, and so during this time, we want to pray for focus and for direction. Most of you don't know that, I, but on Sunday afternoons, I've been meeting with a, uh, several of the leaders at the church, and we've been talking about our core values. And I want to tell you, first, the first couple of Sundays we talked about it, everybody, including me, walked away going like, I, I don't know what this, oh, this is just the, not, this is not, this is just not, all right? And last Sunday, we came to it, we came to agreement, just could feel, I, I actually felt God's spirit saying, boom, you guys have landed, this is it. This is where you need to move forward with right now. And I need you guys to keep praying for us as we start looking at that and figuring out. And we'll, we'll give you more information about that as, as, as we go. But it's just kind of figuring out who we are so that we know what kind of pastor to call, so we know what kind of ministries we need to be doing, so we know who God has called us to be. But we need your prayer for that kind of time. So, so um, now I want to caution you. When you enter into that kind of prayer, God may tell you things that you don't want to hear. There have been many times that I've prayed that I've prayed a prayer and a and a babticus has slipped out of my, my mouth. Babticus for me is like when I say oh crud, okay, that's that's me babticusing right there, all right? So but there have been many times when I'm kinda like God praying fervently about it, and then all of a sudden going like, Oh man, are you serious, Lord? And God says, Well, were you serious? Yes I was, Lord. All right, then you know what you have to do. So God will give us direction at that point, as he did with these early Christians. So now let's look at what the Holy Spirit did, okay? So look at what the Spirit did. So let's come back to the setting here. They're all in one place. Not only they were praying, but they were spending time together. That's really important. Spending time together. Which is going to pause before we get to that. Another commercial real quick. We're going to be updating, and we're I've said this a couple times, but I just want to warn you. We're trying to regear our small groups and stuff. And so my goal is that within a couple of months, that everybody in our church would be involved in some kind of small group. All right, some kind of small group that we're working together. So we're fellowshipping together, we're learning together, we're growing together. So we're still working on that, so kind of keep that in mind. If you're not a part of a small group, you need to be, and we're going to create one for you pretty soon, all right? So the followers are all gathered together in this house. Now, this could have been the same upper room they were in in chapter 1. We don't know for sure, okay? Might have been. Some commentators believe that it was a room near the temple complex, which would make sense because they kind of spilled out into the temple complex there. We don't know for sure. We don't even know how many people were there. But 120 is probably a good guess. So it wasn't necessarily a small group necessarily. But it doesn't tell us how many people were there. It could have been just the, 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 the 11, well, 12 apostles, apostles since they added Matthias in chapter 1. So it could have been just the 12 apostles. We don't know. So somewhere between 12 and 120 were there. And here's what happened. First it says there was a noise like a violent wind. Now, it doesn't say there was any wind, okay? There was just the noise of a wind. Um, anybody here ever been in a, in a tornado? Ever? I was in one once, but I slept through it. I was kidding. Have you really? All right. So was it, did it sound like a train coming? That's what people... But you were in a camper during a tornado? Oh, my goodness. So thank you, Jesus. So...
So, so they understand. So winds make noise, but it doesn't say there was a wind. There's just this, all of a sudden this noise, some kind of physical manifestation of that. And the wind is often used to represent what God's doing. You, look in, you could look in 1 Kings 19, 11, or John 3, 8. There's a lot of phrases about where the wind is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. So there's noise like a violent wind. And then there was these things of fire, okay? These things of fire. Now, for those of us who are my age and older that grew up with King James, King James just freaked us out a little bit because the King James used the phrase cloven tongues of fire. And that made me think like serpent's tongues, you know? Like that's what it sort of sounds, sounds demonic, doesn't it? Clo Actually, what it just means is this, this, this fire appeared, like in a ball or something, just a fire peeling. And it says that, that things cleaved off of it. That's the old word. So that it was separating and distributing. So the idea would be like this ball of fire appearing in this room and the little bits of the fire coming off of it and resting on top of everybody's head. Okay, freaky enough as it is, all right, just by itself. But that sort of happened. And so this is what's going on. And again, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit being distributed among the people. Again, just like wind, fire has often been used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 3.16, uh, John's talking about, uh, uh, but coming after me is one mightier than me. I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's this symbol, this wind, this Holy Spirit, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now again, sometimes we get freaked out of, about of this, okay? When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're afraid somebody's going to you know, characterize this as one of those churches, you know. But we're still going to deal with this. The Holy Spirit was alive and working here. The Holy Spirit brought power to his followers. And the Holy Spirit came as a promise that Jesus made them in the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, then they spoke in other tongues. Now, again, this is difficult for churches like ours. My in-laws are background or assembly of God and church of God, and they get this. They love this. If, if any of my in-laws are watching this right now, this is for you, family, okay? All right, we're talking about this stuff right now. So it freaks, you know, it's, it's, you know they love this kind of stuff. And, and we don't, we're afraid of it because we're afraid it might be connected with some kind of second blessing that we believe there's this deeper level of Christianity or something like that. None of that is here in this passage, okay? Now, there are, there are Bible passages that allude to that. But the passage from where we get the word Pentecostal doesn't really talk about that at all. All right? In fact, there's, for, there's a couple of things here. First, these were not unknown, unknown languages. These were actually known languages from dialects from the, from, the, from the Roman Empire. So let's pull up the map here, and I want to show you the map real quick. Are we there? Did I, get, did I jump ahead of you guys? I may have. There we go. So actually, you're going to have to click through several of these, all right? So I've got little spaces where whichever one you want to look at. So let's kind of go ahead and click. Yeah, just keep going there. I should have just, I should have made this run automatically. But there's all the different places. Just click till you get to eight, till you get to Rome, I think. So just keep going there. We'll just get them all up there. There's no need to do it. I should have made these just, there we go. I think one, or there's two more. There we go, right there. That's it. So these are just the areas of the Roman Empire that mentions they were from. This was their known world. In other words, these were people that had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. They were speaking the native languages of the people who had come into Jerusalem to worship God. It was God just, God was just breaking down the communication barriers here. This wasn't done necessarily to be a miracle to show the attesting power of God. This was a communication issue here. 
that God was just letting it happen. Well, let me take it a little, little bit further than that, okay? It was a miracle showing God's power, too, because actually all these people who came, they were all members of the Roman Empire, so they probably all spoke Greek, which was the trade language and was used very often. Or if they were Jewish background, they may have spoken Arabic, Aramaic, Aramaic too, all right? So most of us, I mean, we struggle with just getting English down. Some of you can do Spanglish pretty good, you know, or whatever else. But back then, people generally spoke at least two languages, right? Greek and Aramaic in that area, and maybe a little Latin, too. So they knew this language. So they could have witnessed anybody in, in Greek or in Aramaic. They could have shared the message of Jesus. Why did God give them this miracle of hearing? And by the way, it does say it's a miracle of hearing, not of speaking. Because if you look back in the passage, it says, it mentions speaking in different tongues a couple of times, but it mentions hearing uh, a few more times than, than it does speaking, okay? So it was this miracle of hearing in other languages. In fact, if you look at the very end of that passage, let me move back to it for just a moment here. It says, it says why is it that we are all hearing each of them speak in our own language? So it wasn't like this person was speaking Cappadocian and this person was speaking um, uh, Arabic and this person was speaking uh, Median or whatever. It's that this person who spoke Median was hearing everybody speaking Median. This person who spoke in Greek was hearing everybody speaking Greek. This person who spoke in, in Egyptian was hearing everybody speak in Egyptian in that dialect. They were hearing them speak in their own dialect. So it was more a miracle of hearing than it was of speaking. But again, why did it happen? I think it happened. God was actually breaking down some barriers to make connections with people. All right. Um, the, the best example I think of would be like a, like a viral video today. All right. When this started happening, people started going, what's going on? What's, what's happening? And that's when people poured into the streets to see what was going on. If it had just been people talking in Greek or Aramaic about Jesus, they probably would have ignored it. Just like you probably ignore it when you see a street preacher. We haven't seen many of those in a while, but if you go to some of the larger cities and you see a street preacher, you probably just kind of think, okay, God, well, maybe bless what he's doing, but don't let him be associated with what, you know, what, my, what, what my religion is, all right? That kind of thing. That may be how, so they've probably been ignored, but when they heard them speaking their own language, they're like, ah, oh, this is different. Let's go see what it is. And that, that happens a lot. I, I work with a lot of different cultures, and I've learned enough of several different languages to be polite or whatever. All right, um, like Naomi, when we first met, I tried to greet you in Korean, all right? I probably butchered it really badly, okay? And you probably thought, that poor white guy, he's just trying, that's all right, all right? But at least, you know, it was, it was making a connection. So when I go speak to people, like even if I butcher it pretty badly, they're like, oh, it's just so cute that he's trying, all right? And, um, you know, my Korean friends used to say, hey, your Korean's pretty good, but it's just so weird to hear it come out of round eyes. We can't. And I'm like, hey, I can't help but what I've dealt with. But, that, but I'll try to do that. So I'll try to, I'll tr I'll try to learn and, and just greet somebody in another language a little bit. That may be all I can do is I'll, I'll greet somebody in, in uh, Indonesian, and then they start speaking back in Indonesian. They're going like, nope, you just heard everybody I got right there. That was the end of it right there. I was just trying to be nice. But it builds a connection. And this is what the people, what I think what the Holy Spirit was doing here at this time is that he was helping them move out into the community and make connections that cross barriers. And here's what I want to say to you. This is really interesting to me. Remember Jesus' command in Acts 1.8. He said, but you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and, you, and um, 
Oh, I can't, I can't quote it now. Oh, my gosh, I'm about to read it. I'm drawing a blank on it. I know it's one of my memory verses, and I should do it. Let me read it here. But you receive power. There we go. That's what I forgot. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. In one day, they actually fulfilled the Great Commission a lot in, for what they knew at that time. That was their known world. That was what they knew. Most people didn't know what was beyond that map right there. But they knew that. And they reached people that God gave them the power to do their part of reaching, fulfilling the Great Commission right there just 10 days after Jesus gave it to them. Now, are there still more people to know? Do we realize now there's more to that map that than we know? Yes. And we have our new part to write in the Great Commission. That's why we talked about in Acts 29, you know, that, that unwritten chapter of the book of Acts that we all have our part to write in the, in the Great Commission. We all have our work to do in it. But what does this mean for us? Well, they've gone back and shared the gospel with all these lands that came to Jerusalem. Fresno is also a place where the world has come. There's so many different cultures here right in Fresno. And I want you to just look at this. Look at this map. I have another map for you here. You know, I like maps. This is a four-mile circle as the crow flies around, uh, around our church. Just a four-mile circle, okay? I actually used a lot of different things there. Now, basically, anybody want to guess how many people live within four miles of, Fre of Fresno Church? It's just under 200,000. That's the official population living in that circle right there. Just under 200,000 people. It's actually 98,000 households. And it's expected to increase by 2,000 people per year. So by five years from now, it will be over 200,000 people living within four miles of our church. Sounds a little bit like Jerusalem during Pentecost. Sounds like the kind of place that God would use to help a church do their part of reaching the Great Commission. Let's break this down a little bit here, okay? As you look at that, let's just look here at the next, next little map there again. I know this is not super spiritual looking at this, and that's a little bit hard to see. Yeah, that doesn't look as good as, I, man, when we go from, from, from Microsoft to Apple, it just doesn't look quite right sometimes. But, so let's look at that. If you want to see the prettier picture, I got it here later. I'll show it to you. But, but right now in our area, that's 9% Asian, which may not sound like a lot, but that's almost 20,000 people of Asian backgrounds, 8.5% black and African-American, 38% white, 42% Hispanic and Latinos, and then 3% other. Now, again, you look at that and it's like, well, it sounds like we're mostly white and, and Hispanic, but there's a lot of division within that too. Let's go to the next little picture here, all right? I got several. That is actually um, languages spoken. If you look at that, and it's, ah, oh, you can't read that, all right? So I'll give you the, 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 the specifics right here, okay? Um, but um, oh, let's see if I have this here. Hold on. All right, languages spoken at home. Just giving a, a little breakdown right there. Here's what it breaks down. There are 680 homes in the Fresno area that, um, no, excuse me, um, you know what? I'm, I'm way off there. 
I've, I've messed up here with this. We're just going to say, let's actually go to the next slide. I'm going to just skip that one. It's not looking right here, okay? That's actually our ancestry. That's just not language of spoken home, but that's ancestry right there. And look at it for a moment. 38% of our four-mile circle have, or have a Mexican background. But look at the next two largest, other and unclassified. That's people that just either are mixed, mixed, you know, two or more, whatever, but or they're just, we don't even know what they are. They've got such a background there. But we have people from Southeast Asia, from South Central Asia, that would be Punjabi and uh, that kind of, kind of thing. So what we normally think of is, is uh, Asian Indian. Uh, German background, 3%. Scotch-Irish, other Hispanic, British, other European, again, Middle Eastern, Scandinavian, and those are left less than 1%, but still, less than 1% is still about, it's still about 2,000 people. Japanese, Korean, Native American, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Dutch, Central American, French, American, whatever that means, other Asian, South American, Polish, Chinese, Pacific Islander. We've got a great array of people around here. And language, it's crazy, some of the things around there. If you look at that, just when you see just Asian there, you know, have just living within here, within this four miles, uh, 6,400 Asian Indians, 3,200 Filipinos, 1,100 Koreans, 4,700 Hmong, plus the Japanese, Cambodian, Laotian, and Vietnamese. If you look at languages spoken at home, there are 640 homes within our four miles that speak Arabic at home. 1,000 that speak Chinese, 400 that speak French at home. That's their language spoken at home. 360 that speak German, 300 that speak Korean, uh, 118,000 that speak English. So those of you who don't speak other languages, you're not off the hook, okay? We've got other things there. We've just got tons, Slavic languages, other Indo-European, Spanish, 44,000 speak Spanish, Tagalog, other Pacific Island languages. 530 families that speak Vietnamese. That's just crazy that what we have available here to reach in our community. So now we've looked at what the early Christians did. We've looked at what the Spirit did. I want to wrap this up with what we can do. Okay? So what can you do to reach Fresno? The world has come to Fresno. Okay? It really has. Fresno truly is... Um, well, we used to say melting pot. It's not that. Now we have the term we use is salad. Okay? Fresno is a very rich salad of a lot of different cultures that God has placed in a place where we can reach those cultures and meet. And by the way, as I look out in our congregation, I see a lot of these cultures right here. It's not like we're the all-white church that people say, come and be like us, you know? We're not that kind of church at all. We've got a place where people that come with a different culture can be that way. I know you got an old white guy preaching right now. Just tell him, it won't last. We're getting rid of him, okay? Just remember, you can say that, all right? But, but, um, but we've got the ability. This is a church that can, can welcome those people in and be a place for them to come to meet Jesus and grow in him. So what I want you to do, I want you to think about the Hmong person who works in the cubicle next to yours. And how Jesus loves him or her too. And is ready to reach out to them. Think about that Central American who is one of your regular customers. Who also needs to know about Jesus. Think about that Middle Eastern student who sits next to you in English class. Did Jesus die for him or her too? Yes, he did. 
Because Jesus brought them into your sphere of influence for a reason. I'm betting he did. All right? Think about the Hispanic person that works at your bank. Or even, yes, the white family that lives next door. Can you reach out to them? And cross those lines like the early Christians did to reach more people. We've got the opportunity. Yes, we need to be involved in missions around the world like we learned last week. But we can also be involved in missions around the world right here in Fresno, everywhere you go. We have an amazing opportunity, better than most people in the entire U.S. So right now I want you to think about two or three people from a a different national heritage than yours. Begin praying over them and ask God to help you see them as an opportunity to do your part to carry out the Great Commission right now. Ask God to help you and be ready for the Holy Spirit when he gives you words to speak. The Holy Spirit may not teach you their language, but he will still give you the words to speak and to be able to reach out to them. So think is the first thing. Second, pray. Yeah, be praying over that. Praying, God, how can you use me? God, why do you have me here in Fresno? What is it I can do right now to be a part of that fulfilling the Great Commission? Third, listen. Just listen to people. Just show them that you care. Begin understanding who they are and listening for opportunities, not only to learn about them, but listening for opportunities to be able to give them spiritual encouragement in some way. And one of the things you'll hear me say many times is, I'm not expecting you to go out right now and witness to that person who has English as a second language and share all sorts of biblical you know, stories with them and, and theological concepts and that kind of thing. But I am asking you to look for, listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to them and look for opportunities to just engage them in spiritual conversation that might help point them toward Jesus. Next thing I want you to do is be willing to speak. Sometimes you've got to do that. Sometimes you just got to get out there and say, hey, I got something I want to share with you. Now, for a lot of us, that's the easiest thing. But you got to do those other things first. Look for that opportunity to speak. And then this is the one I think is probably the easiest for this church of all is loving. Just be a, wherever you go, be God's love. Think of yourself for a moment like, think of yourself being like a large, a large can of Glade air freshener. All right? Except instead of being filled with, you know, fresh linen or lemon and rose petals or whatever, you know, things that are like that, you're just filled with God's love. You're just an aerosol can full of God's love. And you've got the opportunity just to spray it on everybody you come in contact with. If we do that, if we love them and share them like that, then, then God will give us the opportunity to speak. And God will give them ears to hear what we're saying. And God will help our church do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. Even while we're waiting for a new pastor, even while we're suffering through the cold of winter coming up, God can still use us to spread his love and warmth to everybody. Let's pray. Father, please help us to see the Great Commission opportunity around us. Help us to be people who will use this gift of speech you've given us and the gift of love that you have given us to be able to spread that love and that message of Jesus everywhere. Right now, Father, in everyone's mind right now, help us think of that person who is different from us, that, is, that we could reach out across barriers of language or culture or national background, that we could reach out and touch 
In Jesus' name, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, don't let this be just a thing we think about here in, in this sanctuary, in this worship center. But Father, let it be something that we carry with us in our hearts everywhere we go. And Father, use us and use our church to fulfill your promise of making disciples of the whole nation right here in Fresno and wherever we go.